MSW Media. This week, the Trump administration stepped up its efforts to stonewall congressional investigations in the wake of the Mueller report, with Trump proclaiming that they are fighting, quote, all the subpoenas. The White House has suggested that it may try to invoke executive privilege to block the testimony of former White House counsel Don McGahn. Attorney General Bill Barr claims he may refuse to testify if the House Judiciary Committee uses a lawyer to ask questions. Can the Trump administration really successfully stonewall the House of Representatives? Why won't the House proceed immediately to impeachment? And how can the House prevent unnecessary delays to its investigation? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, a WGN radio host who will join us regularly on this podcast. So, Patty, there is understandably a lot of concern, a lot of fear, a lot of anger out there um, about what is going on. I think people are worried that we are in a world in which there's a, there was a criminal investigation of the president of the United States and the executive branch, the White House, uh, can successfully prevent anyone from knowing the details or the evidence underlying that investigation. Well, and I think so much of that fear and anger obviously comes out of the frustration that it doesn't seem just. You know, so much of what Mueller and the investigators found you know, regarding Trump and the people around him, people want to see, you know, justice. And I think it's as as simple as that, don't you? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that people also, I think, have a sense in their head that the way the the justice system works is that, well, there's evidence collected and then that's it. Someone's charged and they get sent away. You know, the reality is that, you know, although law and order takes, I think, maybe 47 minutes, if you count all the commercials, <laughs> uh, that's not how a criminal case usually works. I mean, I would spend years of my life uh, working with FBI agents to investigate a crime. You know, we would we would work and and then we would eventually, you know, present an indictment to a grand jury. But then, you know, that that the process of going from indictment to trial to sentencing would take years. So for for me, when I look at it as somebody who has a lot of experience in the legal system, you know, I understand that the law and the legal system takes time. And of course, the political process also takes time. So the time uh, lapse of time doesn't bother me. I mean, or I should say it doesn't bother me. It may, it may bother me. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, but uh, the positions being taken by the White House do. In what sense? Are they going to stonewall? They're going to ignore subpoenas? That sort of disregard? Because that's what people are also frustrated about, is that nothing seems to matter. There's no consequences to any of the behavior coming out of the administration. Yeah, that that's a comment. The comment you just made, Patty, is a comment that people have made to us many times, because we do read all of your comments. Yes. Uh, and I, I will say that I can understand why people feel that way. And I think that the, the principles at stake here are much broader than this specific case. And to me, uh, that's what's so important here. We had a criminal investigation of the president. What I would have expected 
it, given particularly Attorney General Barr's promises of transparency to the United States Senate before he was confirmed, would be that he would have provided the full report to House leadership in a controlled setting. Not that necessarily the three of us uh, or five of us or eight of us or whatever, all of us here out in the public are, are, listen, are could see it, but that uh, Jerry Nadler, the House Judiciary Chairman, and Nancy Pelosi and all those types of people could get in a room uh, and take a look at this thing, and there could be some agreement that would be reached about whether something was classified. Now what we're seeing is not only does he refuse to produce the full report, uh, but, uh, you know, there's going to be fighting over witnesses and documents and basically a stonewalling of every any attempt to to um, proceed. And, and there, there there is some precedent for that in Watergate, although that was used as an article of impeachment there uh, that ultimately was not brought. It didn't need to be brought. But uh, I think that the concern about the precedent here is should be something that people in both parties should be concerned about. Yeah, I would imagine. Well, and the precedent that if he gets away with it is is the part that, you know, again, we, people want accountability. They want consequences. And as you mentioned, there's no easy answer. There's no simple solution for that. So let me. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Getting away with getting away with that before we bring in our guests, because our guests think will really help us get an inside look at how members of Congress view this this issue, which I think is really important. So um but let's talk about the legal issues here. So first of all, regarding the full report, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Chairman Jerry Nadler has an absolute right to get the full Mueller report. Uh, the House of Representatives under the Constitution has the full right to impeach uh, in order to make uh, use of it, to, in order to carry forth that constitutional duty. When there's criminal investigations of the president, they should receive the outcome of that uh, so that they can determine whether or not uh, they should impeach. That strikes me as uh, sort of a foundational uh, uh, you know, principle that comes out of the United States Constitution. I think any court that looks at it is going to view, view it that way. Now, that does not mean, by the way, that that how uh, the chairman Nadler was wrong to wait a little bit to issue a subpoena. There was some back and forth. Larry Tribe, uh, who I Lawrence Tribe, who I have great respect for. I consider him a uh, 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 somebody who has been very uh, friendly towards me over the years and we have a good relationship. Uh, you know, he strongly disagreed with me on that point or I disagreed with him. I don't remember which <laughs> which is the order and called for an immediate in a subpoena by Nadler before the. The report was the redacted report was released. Uh, I thought Chairman Adler did the savvy thing, which was wait for Bill Barr to publicly commit to not produce the full report to Congress under, you know, even in a controlled setting and to kind of lock himself into a position. I thought that was the right thing to do because courts don't want to get in between fights uh, between the different political branches. Courts want to let the House uh, and the president worked that out politically. So a, a, getting rid of any excuse for a court to say, ah, this isn't really ripe for us to get involved in yet. You know, the, there's not a dispute yet or, uh, you know, we, we need to give him a chance. I think he was smart to wait. But now what we're seeing is what, what I see, uh, Patty, is the White House taking positions that they must know will fail in the courts uh, in order to delay. And I think. The reality is that they won't – I just so everyone who's listening understands, they won't be successful in preventing Don McGahn's testimony. They're not going to be successful in keeping these documents. But if they delay it enough, they might kind of take the winds out of the sails of the, of the Democrats. They might push this into the campaign season where the news gets drowned out by other things. I think that is the goal. 
Well, and I wonder how much, uh, you know, our, our politicians are going to react to some of the polling. Did you see that the majority of Americans, and, and not by huge margins, but it was 53% of Democrats don't necessarily think that he should be impeached? Well, um, I think that our elected representatives are responding to that. So I think one thing we see is there's a lot of energy and a lot of people who feel strongly that it's a matter of principle. I mean, uh, to her credit, I'd say um, Senator Warren, Elizabeth Warren, came out and made a very impassioned statement of her views, saying that, you know, everyone should vote and they should live with their choice. Um, Some of the members of the House of Representatives, and I think, you know, uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi, are pursuing a more careful approach. They want to wait till their caucus is united. And I think that's what the congressman is going to talk to us about when we bring him in, is about where they're at in that process. I think that's important. Right. And and the the process is something that I'm sure people will be uh, fascinated and drawn in by. I think it's compelling that while most Americans don't think he should be impeached, they do believe he lied. Which, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's fascinating that people are willing to let it. Well, you know, yeah, we know he lied. We know he obstructed, but uh, we don't think he should be impeached. I don't get it, Renato. Well, I think what they may be thinking, I mean, I, I think it is totally plausible to have the view. Uh, it's, I don't know. if It's not my view. OK, but uh, but I would just say it's possible to have the view that pre- Donald Trump obstructed justice, but it would be bad for the country. To have an impeachment proceeding because either it wouldn't succeed or because it would tear the country apart or because it would be better to have him removed in an election. Um, it's possible to have that view. I don't I, I would say I respect that view. I don't you know agree with it completely, but I respect the view. And I will say um, just saying this as an American, not as somebody who's not speaking from a legal perspective, but as an American, I, I, I would feel a lot better about where we were at as a country, if Republicans came forward and said, you know, this report is very disturbing. I don't think we should impeach for all sorts of reasons, but it's a very disturbing thing. I'm concerned about it. We can never let the president do something like this to the, uh, you know, criminal justice system again. Uh, we should censure the president, something like that. Okay. You know, I, I and I am concerned that we're not there and that that bothers me. Right. And I think that's a, the other part that really drives people nuts is it's one thing to. And I, I think we've talked about this before. It's one thing for the president. To, he's going to be who he is. He's going to do all those things. It's the people that line up behind him and support what he's doing or, you know, again, rail against this investigation in the first place when so much has been revealed. Uh, exactly right. And I, but I will say, just so everyone understands, I think what we're, we're, this discussion is bringing to a head, Patty, is uh-huh. impeachment is not this simple thing where you press a button. Right. It's, there's 435 people in the House. The how the Of course, Nancy Pelosi has well over 200 uh, members of Congress that she has to keep uh, moving in, this, in the same direction. And uh, I think... The, you know, a lot of folks in Congress may not want to move until the public is, supports that or is ready for that. So this is something that may not happen immediately. And it's, the process of it isn't as simple as some people, including some legal analysts out there, would have you believe. It's not so simple as just throwing a document out there and voting. I mean, it's certainly if the House wants to do it, they could. But as a practical matter, that's not how things are going to go. So let's bring in our guest, uh, who should be familiar to all of you by now. He's appeared uh, on this podcast multiple times. Um, my uh, my uh, old friend, uh, Ro Khanna, who is a congressman, a Democratic congressman out of Silicon Valley. Let's bring him in now. Welcome back to the podcast, Ro. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me back on. 
So I, I have to say uh, there are a lot of frustrated uh, folks out there, a lot of people who are afraid. They feel that there's no way that uh, the Trump administration is ever going to have uh, proper oversight conducted of it. There's no way in which there could ever be an investigation of the administration because they're going to be able to stonewall at every turn. Uh, and, and I've talked about some of the legal reasons why uh, ultimately the House might prevail. But how, did, how do you feel as a House member who's on the oversight committee uh, about uh, some of the efforts of the Ho- Trump administration to stonewall the House of Representatives? Well, look, there is a deep offense. I mean, Elijah Cummings, the chair of our committee on oversight, is one of the fairest people. He has bent over backwards uh, to try to accommodate the White House, saying uh, we want to do this in a voluntary way, we want to do this in a thoughtful way. But let me tell you, he is uh, very uh, outraged. And uh, what I hear from uh, him, from Gerald Connolly, from others, is uh, we're going to fight this. Uh, We're not going to roll over. Uh, We're not going to uh, agree to the stonewalling where they haven't produced a single document uh, or a single witness. And it's important to understand this is not just Renato on the issue about obstruction of justice. This is about issues of of the census. This is about issues of the security clearances. I mean, they are stonewalling Congress's oversight uh, in ways that are unprecedented. Yeah. You know, Trump said recently that, you know, we're, quote, fighting all the subpoenas. And I think the concern is that this is really a, a potential threat to our constitutional order. If if you know, even if you're a Republican, I think at a certain point you have to be concerned that if this is the roadmap for future administrations, essentially the executive will have unlimited control, won't be checked by Congress. It's a huge concern. And putting aside the instruction question, which we'll get to, I mean, if you're concerned about whether you should have a citizenship question on the census and believe that Congress should have some say in that, then you should be concerned that the administration is unwilling to uh, have anyone appear uh, before the committee. Look, you know, the people keep talking about the Obama administration. And uh, I remember during the Obama administration when there were in some cases, bogus investigations on Solyndra, investigations about the IRS and whether they were political, which weren't, on Benghazi. I mean, Hillary Clinton appeared in front of the Benghazi committee. The Obama administration gave documents. So even when they thought they were totally partisan investigations, they still cooperated. What you have in this administration is something we've never seen before, which is just a uh, total disregard of Congress. Now, Now, I believe we will prevail in the courts. But as you know, uh, and I know you pointed this out, uh, that can take months. And uh, that's what this administration is counting on. Exactly right. I view this as a delay strategy that is essentially trying to take the wind out of the Democrats' sails, trying to push as much of this into the election season as possible so that the attention is elsewhere. Uh, and I, I have to say, I don't really doubt that courts in the end are going to um, – side with the House on this just because these positions are untenable. And in fact, I think that when it comes down to it, if they get to get to a court proceeding, I think the Trump administration may back down or moderate their positions, just like they did with the Muslim ban, uh, the travel ban. They they essentially weaken that and change that right. uh, to, to make it uh, more palatable. So I think they will do that. 
But the, the danger, of course, is that in the meantime, they aren't being held accountable. And certainly on the issue of impeachment, uh, you know, I, I spent a, a while uh, speaking to the ho- a host of Mueller. She wrote uh, uh, yesterday. There's a lot of people who are very concerned uh, out there, a lot of uh, of uh, Democrats who who feel that, you know, this is an issue that merits investigation and, and without uh, if without any sort of cooperation from the administration, the House can't do its constitutional duty. Are there any consequences for ignoring or saying, you know, deciding that you have executive privilege when called to testify? Well, let me I'll answer that instead of throwing that to Congressman Khan. I will say that, um, yes. Uh, so, first of all, someone can be held in contempt of Congress that those those contempt um those contempt uh, uh, citations are generally referred to the United States Attorney in the District of Columbia, who I actually I happen to know, I think is a fine lawyer, a conservative, but a fine lawyer, um, who would prosecute those criminally at times, although it rarely happens. But there are some in way back in our history uh, provision uh, circumstances where it's been done other ways, where literally the you know you'll have somebody kind of thrown in in the the jail by the you know the the police service that that protects the Capitol. But you know th- this doesn't happen a lot. It's not something that the House of Representatives is set up to do because the executive branch enforces. Uh, the law. So it will be it would really be a crisis uh, if you had just willy nilly uh, people refusing to comply with congressional subpoenas. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I, I, yeah, no, I completely agree uh, with your analysis. I mean, as you pointed out, the sergeant of arms technically has the jurisdiction of the Capitol to go arresting people. And then Sam Irwin threatened that during the Watergate hearings. And, you know, ultimately uh, Nixon complied. The the problem in this cases, there's no shame, right? I mean, like, let's say it's you or me. We would not want to have a contempt citation from Congress. Usually people who are uh, ambitious in their careers or have any sense of standing don't want to just uh, get a, a, a congressional contempt citation. But this administration is shameless. I mean, there are a lot of people there who don't care. And I think the president is putting people in a very awkward position because they're going to have a life post-Trump, and he's basically asking them to compromise their integrity uh, and have the stain on their record to protect him. And unfortunately, so far, many people are choosing to uh, side with the president. Well, I think it's partly because to, in some segments right now that that might be seen as a badge of honor to take a contempt citation yeah. for the for President Trump. Um, I, so I will say, uh, you know, a lot of people and particularly I have to say a lot of people and I'm going to put this in air quotes because I wouldn't I don't think they should be properly described this way. Who call themselves legal analysts have been talking about how <laughs> the uh, the uh, tr- we can just impeach everyone. We could just do this whole impeachment thing in a week. Let's just subpoena all the witnesses. If they don't show up, we'll throw the Mueller report uh, into evidence and we're ready to go. Uh, that's not how I, I anticipate that the House of Representatives would handle handle an impeachment inquiry. Of course, there, one has not even formally began yet. Can you explain to us kind of the realism, uh, kind of give us a real picture of how, how this might actually come come about or one way or the other? And remember, uh, in, in Watergate, which people often cite, it took almost a year and a half of inquiry. And here is why it's important for the House of Representatives to uh, do our job. We have to bring the public with us. And that's uh, Nancy Pelosi's position that Look, a lot of people haven't. They're busy. They're working on their lives. They don't have the time to read a 450-page or 480-page Mueller report and all the footnotes. But they will pay attention if uh, people testify, if Bob Mueller testifies, if uh, uh, other key witnesses, Don McGahn, testify. 
they're going to uh, pay attention. And they hopefully the idea is that with these hearings, uh, we start to educate the uh, American public in detail about uh, how this president has broken the law and, and uh, really bring that to life uh, for uh, the country. And then we uh, would have the committees issue their reports. Uh, and that's uh, the procedure. And then, of course, if the Judiciary Committee uh, decides that uh, they want to proceed with uh, articles of impeachment, they would then vote on that, and then it would go to the House of Representatives. But uh, to short-circuit that process, I think, is to uh, do a, a huge disservice. Whatever side you're on, uh, whether it's uh, Elizabeth Warren's position of impeachment or whether it's a, a position of, no, we shouldn't the country apart, don't impeach, uh, you should be of the view that Congress should do its job and be deliberative about it. Uh, I, I, that, that seems to make sense to me. I think the, the people, the counter argument to it, and, and I, some people have raised it, I know it was raised with you and one program is, uh, well, yeah. what, is this going to, is this basically just a way of pushing it off so it'll never happen? Uh, you know, basically shunting it off to the future so it dies a slow death. You know, there, there there is a concern about that if the president keeps uh, denying anyone the opportunity to come and if it, it, it's stonewalled. But I, I don't think that's the case. If anything, I think that's going to anger uh, House Democrats more. And I know that there are a couple of people who are on the fence who uh, are so outraged by uh, the inability of people to uh, appear before Congress that they're now leaning uh, in the direction of, of Elizabeth Warren. And so... Uh, I don't I don't think that's the case. I know Nancy Pelosi, if you look carefully at what she said, her language has shifted. I mean, before the Mueller report, she basically said he's not worth it or not going to impeach. And now she's genuinely saying we've got to go where the facts lead us. We've got to make a presentation to the American public. We've got to bring people along. Uh, that's Hillary Clinton's position. So uh, I I think the stakes are too high uh, for anyone in Congress to let uh, let this just pass. I have a question about something that Nancy Pelosi, that Speaker Pelosi wrote in a letter. She said it's also important to know that the facts regarding holding the president accountable can be gained outside of impeachment hearings. Do you have any sense in what she meant by that? It means that the committees can do our work, right? I mean, there's there are multiple problems with this president. We just focused most recently on Mueller and the uh, his uh, ten counts of obstruction of justice. But uh, as you know, well, because I I, I know you've been covering this, there are the issues of potential financial fraud that are being investigated in the Southern District of New York. There are issues about an abuse of security clearance. There is issues about uh, false disclosures on financial forums, and that's why we're trying to get his tax record. Uh, There are issues about uh, unconstitutional actions that the president has taken on the border or, or uh, with having a question on the census or uh, improper use of the military. Uh, and I think Pelosi's point is all of the committees are doing this investigatory work uh, that doesn't require uh, the formal launch of an impeachment inquiry in the ju- just, uh, Judiciary Committee. Uh, the Oversight Committee can continue to do its work, and we are. You know, one thing that really um, disappoints me is that when I uh, am either in the studio or I'm watching on TV and I hear an interview by a Repo- of a Republican member of Congress or senator, even some of them this morning, uh, I have I see them unwilling to acknowledge that the president has done things that whether they want to call them criminal or not, certainly 
uh, fly in the face of the laws of this country, are reprehensible, should be censured at the very least. Really, uh, all, the only person who came out and said that was Mitt Romney, and he's been attacked viciously by many in his own party for doing that. What can you help? Uh, can you help our listeners understand? Because a lot of them don't have any, like, are trying to figure out why is it that 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 sort of there isn't why uh, at least that view isn't widespread amongst Republicans. Now, well, we're trying to figure the same thing out in Congress. It's it's shocking to me. Uh, look, hey, I, I, you remember because we were uh, law school roommates back when Bill Clinton was impeached. And I don't think he should have been impeached. And I think on balance, he was a good president. But if you asked me, did Bill Clinton lie? I would have said yes, he lied. I would have said yes, his conduct was inappropriate and wrong. Uh, and you could have that view and still believe that impeachment was wrong and that Clinton was a decent president. I saw a poll recently that... 81% of Republicans don't believe that Trump has lied. So it's just, you know, they're not even willing to acknowledge wrongdoing, let alone get to the point about uh, whether a crime was committed or whether he should be impeached. And the members of Congress are just reflections of the electorate uh, that is uh, behind Trump. I mean, his core base of, of Republican votes. And I, I thought a lot about it. Everyone has their own theories. I, I think Trump represents something that is so deep in people's uh, desire to hold on to a, a, a particular vision of America that they're willing to overlook uh, a lot of and are just not uh, wanting to see reality. Yeah, I have to say that one of the things that I think this entire affair, and I, I mean, not just the... Um, the Mueller report and the aftermath of that, but even many of the events described in the Mueller report bring to a head is, you know, how how much do you care about your legacy, doing the right thing uh, it, versus what may be in your narrow self-interest? In other words, Don McGahn, when, when he had opportunities to do things that were unethical or evil, uh, if you, however you want to look at it. Uh, he decided not to do that at times because he thought, you know, he's like, I'm not going to be starting another Saturday Night Massacre. I'm not going to be the Saturday Night Massacre Robert Bork. Uh, he said, you know, he wasn't going to do it. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of members of Congress who may be looking at polls and saying, well, you know, impeachment isn't um, necessarily the right thing to do. And, and uh, for some of them, they're, they're, you know, like Nancy Pelosi said, follow the facts. They may be put in a position where they have to take a vote that they think is the right thing, but not necessarily in their political interest. You know, how how much does that ever come into play about what what one's legacy is or doing the right thing for the country sort of above and beyond the politics of it? I do think it weighs on someone like Speaker Pelosi. I mean, because, look, she's uh, by her own admission towards the end of her career, she had the first line in her uh, the history books is going to be she's the uh, first woman speaker of the House, but the second line in uh, her biography is probably how she handled the situation. Because when we had a call and a couple of members did bring up the politics, uh, and they said, well, we need to look at the poll numbers and is this going to help us defeat Trump in 2020 or not defeat Trump, uh, she actually jumped on the call and cut them off and said, that's not how I'm looking at this. I uh, We need to do whatever. Uh, the facts lead us uh, to do, and uh, uh, if it be unpopular, so be it. But uh, we we can't politicize it. So, look, I would be uh, lying if I didn't say that uh, uh, members of Congress uh, have political considerations, and that the one deep thing on the back of people's minds is they don't want to do something that 
uh, inadvertently uh, allows Trump to become uh, a president who stays there for eight years. And I, I do think that weighs on some uh, some colleagues. But uh, overall, I think they see that they ha- this is probably one of the most important votes or decisions that we may cast and I may cast in my entire career. I mean, look, people still talk about uh, what folks did during one week. And I think uh, members of Congress realize that. Secondly, it's not, you know, in, in, in districts like mine, which is a large part of the caucus, you're not going to uh, uh, win lose your seat uh, simply on, on this issue if you have a good rationale. So I think people, what people want is to, to to have their members of Congress rise to the occasion and articulate something that they think they're, they genuinely believe in. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I do see you know, on the Democratic side right now a lot of uh, debate over whether or not to do something that may not necessarily help in the poll, you know, in, in terms of votes and polls, but may be the right thing to do. It's interesting. I don't really see a lot of that same um, hand wringing on the Republican side uh, very much at all. In fact, the only time it seems like that has happened in recent memory to me is the. Um, was the uh, the uh, use of the emergency power by Trump to try to get wall funding, and even there, there's not that many votes. Not certainly not enough to override a veto. Right. I mean, it's a very rare, and, and Romney is just a terrible uh, messenger. I mean, I respect that he's speaking out, but I mean, he was also begging Trump for a job with the Secretary of State. I wish there were, you know, principled conservatives uh, who, who would speak out, and I think they're probably are just so afraid of uh, the base. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, when uh, to give you a, a culture of the fear, when Mark Sanford lost his primary, Republican from uh, South Carolina, uh, he was uh, up, up, up in the polls. And then I think at 3 p.m. or something, Donald Trump tweeted out that uh, support uh, his opponent because Sanford had crossed him uh, during the campaign and his opponent uh, ended up beating him. And Donald Trump came the next morning to address the Republican Congress. And he started out with, hey, where's Mark Sanford? How's my buddy Mark Sanford doing? Uh, Didn't work out so well for him. So look, he's someone who has uh, uh, governs with fear. And there are a lot of people in Congress who don't want to get in his crosshairs. Yeah, that I think that I think that's really helpful because a lot of times listeners uh, are trying to understand that, and some of sometimes there's all sorts of theories that people come up with as to, for example, why does Lindsey Graham take the positions he does? Well, I think he wants to get reelected as a senator from South Carolina, and last I checked, that voted very overwhelmingly for Donald Trump for president, and uh, that's just the reality. It's interesting that the only people who seem to speak up are the ones who are retiring, right? Like Jeff Flake and uh, a few others, and they even uh, are are very careful how, how they speak up, but. There's a reason for that, because uh, I do think in the modern Republican Party, as it is, uh, speaking out against this president uh, is I, I think it's very hard to win reelection uh, if you do that, especially on an issue like this, which is why. And, and I know, Renee, we've had this conversation offline. The issue is not just Trump, but it's Trumpism. It's it's uh, what does he represent and why is such a large uh, part of this country subscribe to that. Yeah, I have to say, you know, one thing that occupies a lot of my thoughts, and I'm probably a, a minority of people out there, but I think a lot about what happens in the presidencies after Trump. In other words, 
what sort of policies do we, and laws do we want to adopt to ensure that our democracy is more robustly protected, that our system of checks and balances and our the rule of law are more robustly protected? And I worry that, that some of these changes will become the norm. Uh, even if 80% of them are reversed, we'll have lost some ground that will matter for the future. I agree with that. I mean, on a philosophical level, you know, our founders always uh, assumed that the reason Congress would be a institution check to the executive branch is because you have ambitious people in Congress and wouldn't want to give up their own power. They'd want to stand up to the executive branch. But it's become now that ideology has become uh, so uh, triumphant over institutional loyalty. And my fear is that Democrats, we tend to still believe in some of these institutions and deliberation. And so when, I, when, when we get into office, you know, there's still Democrats who are going to hold the Democratic president accountable, as they should. Uh, but on the other side, they're just a total different uh, set of rules. I mean, you see this with some of the stuff coming out about our presidential candidates that look at these things and they seem like, uh, you know, king, kindergarten citations compared to what Donald Trump has gone through. And so you just have two different standards for the parties that I think is very unfortunate. Uh, you know, folks are wondering about Barr and whether or not he might insert himself in the investigations in uh, in New York. Uh, is there a process in place? Uh, if, will you guys will that be an alarm bell for you guys if he seems to be meddling? It will be. I mean, that is a, a uh, criminal investigation uh, with the Southern District of New York. It would be totally inappropriate for the attorney general to uh, meddle in that. Uh, and uh, if there was any indication that he was doing that, uh, uh, I think it would be uh, a grounds for certainly impeaching him. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we have to be vigilant because he has come in and covered this up. And as your listeners probably knew, He's the one who covered up Iran. I mean, he advised uh, George Herbert Walker Bush the the day uh, before or after Christmas uh, when he was leaving office to pardon Casper Weinberg and basically bring the Iran Contra uh, to a halt. So uh, uh, this is someone who has a, a history of covering things up. Yeah, I have to say he has he deceived the American people uh, at the press conference where he presented the redacted Mueller report. His letter, four page letter, was deceptive. Uh, I am very interested to to see what questions the House Judiciary Committee uh, has for uh, for Barr. I have to say, I don't know if you saw the recent news that uh, Barr is saying that he may not appear voluntarily now that they are planning to use an attorney. That's ridiculous. Terms and Nadler was saying is every member gets to ask five minutes of questions. That's standard. I mean, when the Secretary of Defense comes, whoever comes in for the committee, that's basic protocol. That we, we will go behind closed doors, judiciary would go behind closed doors uh, because it's Barr himself who doesn't want to discuss some of the sensitive information. That's standard. And that there would be a round of 30 minutes of follow up questions. And some of that could be by a professional lawyer. And, you know, Renata, I know you've spoke about this. Uh, members of Congress, this is not our, our job, is not to be uh, courtroom lawyers. Uh, it, it's uh, when people are disappointed or sometimes in the questioning, it, you know, that takes years of experience uh, to be able to do. And I, I, there's no problem, no nothing wrong with a member of the Congress saying, look, we want to 
uh, defer to some expertise and have them do that. By the way, you know who did that was the Republicans in the whole uh, uh, Kavanaugh hearing. I mean, they deferred to a uh, ex counsel to, to ask questions, uh, and Barr is refusing to do that. So it's uh, totally unreasonable uh, on his part. Yeah, I think it is, and I have to say, part of it may be Barr realizes a couple things. I think first, he, I bet he thinks first of all, he has a completely untenable legal position to withhold the full report from that committee. If I was the lawyer for the Judiciary Committee, I would really enjoy asking questions of Mr. Barr because I think I could elicit responses from him that would make him look like a fool uh, to any federal judge reviewing that. And secondly, I think Mr. Barr deceived the American public. And frankly, he has to be concerned about his own reputation and legacy. So the more pointed those questions are, the more precise those questions are, the the worse it is for Barr, because he could be in a situation of having to say he lied before or he's lying now in front of the committee. And I don't I don't think he wants to be there. And the, the reality is, you know, is other than Trump, uh, his aides or his uh, appointees don't have the same base. Uh, let me tell you, I mean, uh, if Barr commits perjury or goes to jail or something, he's not going to have uh, uh, millions of people uh, upset. And so there's far greater risk, actually, uh, for Trump's subordinates uh, than there is for, unfortunately, even for Trump, because he's got, uh, you know, he's staying there through sheer political power. Uh, and uh, it's why Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker Pelosi has said, I don't understand why anyone takes this, these jobs. I mean, it's uh, uh, really putting people at huge personal risk. Yeah, I have to say, um, I, I, I do have a measure of uh, of respect for Don McGahn, not because I agree with much of what he's done throughout his career. I thought he packed the courts with a lot of right-wing judges that I would not have uh, wanted in our federal judiciary. But I do think that he has put himself in a situation where by acting ethically, you know, you know, as a lawyer and not refusing to do things that he thought were unlawful, uh, he's put himself in a situation where the president of the United States is attacking him, where he may get, you know, be himself in some level of jeopardy at some point. Uh, God knows what Trump is going to potentially do to him. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Uh, you know, that, you know, frankly, I, I don't think that the saga and the aftermath of the Mueller report is written yet. And one way or the other, uh, this may unfold in a way that that may uh, ultimately hurt the Republican coalition that has been helping Trump uh, keep his power. I, I, I agree with that, Renato. I agree with your uh Respect for McGahn. I mean, I've said uh, that uh, Donald Trump should be thanking him instead of attacking him. I mean, he really uh, saved him from an even bigger uh, embarrassment, or it would have been a slam dunk that uh, on on obstruction of justice. I and mean, the only thing that's marginally keeping him alive is his attempted crime was un, unsuccessful. That's not a defense, but it, it makes it uh, uh, less bad. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, McGahn. Is a, is someone uh, who uh, has understood that he doesn't work for Donald Trump. That when you're White House counsel or when you're an attorney general, certainly when you're the Fed uh, chairman, uh, you work for the country. Yeah, the president appoints you, but your obligation is to the country, and that's really what used to make our democracy work. And one of the biggest things that Trump has done that has corroded democracy. Uh, is this assumption that uh, you don't have an institutional role, uh, that you're sort of a lackey uh, for the person who's in power. Uh, that's how third world countries uh, run 
their democracy. I mean, I've uh, seen that in other countries. That's not how America runs its democracy. Uh, and good for McGahn for uh, at least standing up for that basic uh, principle of uh, an obligation to country. I agree with that. Well, let me ask you before you go, I, w- I just want to ask you this. There's a lot of folks out there that are worried, that are concerned, that think that you know they spent all this energy voting and, and organizing and doing whatever they could to get a, a House majority elected that were Democrats, and they're worried that that there will be no way that Trump is held accountable. And what can you and they're concerned about this impeachment process and how it will unfold. What message would you give those people because some of them are listening to, to you right now? No, I, I appreciate that. And they're absolutely right. We would never have been in the House majority if it weren't for them. I would say four things. First, we stopped a lot of harm to the country, right? I mean, uh, every day when there were uh, Republicans who controlled all three branches of government, uh, they were uh, making uh, laws that were being our environment. Uh, they were uh, making laws uh, that were giving tax breaks to the very wealthy now at least they can't have a negative agenda. Two, uh, you know, we didn't even have the opportunity to get people like Michael Cohen testifying uh, before Congress. We weren't even we didn't even have the opportunity to issue a single subpoena, uh, let alone have a fight about whether people would comply. So uh, there is a at least the ability now to fight back, and uh, we are doing everything we can to call these witnesses. We are issuing subpoenas. We are getting the fight to the president. That's because. Uh, we won the House. Three, we have a positive agenda. I mean, we passed gun uh, reform legislation, hasn't passed the Senate, but at least we passed it through the House. We passed campaign finance reform. Uh, we really have uh, done uh, a positive thing. And the final thing I would say is, look, uh, we got to win back the presidency and we got to win back the Senate. I mean, it's a uh, ultimately we did one third of the uh, the job in uh, 2018, but uh, there's only so much the House of Representatives can do uh, without having uh, the White House and without having the Senate. And so what I would say is we need to mobilize in even a bigger way in 2020. Well, thank you very much, Ro. I've, I've known you for many years, and I appreciate you being candid and kind of getting in the weeds with us because there's a lot of people who are struggling to understand what's going on, and I, I think it'll hopefully get, help people feel like they can have some comfort in, in the fact that, that uh, House Democrats are doing what they can. Yes, thank you. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate your columns. I mean, the one on Politico about making sure we have the underlying documents of McGahn uh, before questioning him. You know, I passed that on to the Oversight Committee, but uh, uh, your uh, weighing in on these issues has been extraordinarily helpful. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay.
Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give.